Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From the Scopes Monkey Trial to OJ Simpson, trials have always made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and my podcast, History on Trial, will explore fascinating trials from American history. Join me in revealing the true story behind the headlines and discover how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now, or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. We are still humans. We are still humans. Going to say This is your phone. <laughs> this is your phone. And my name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined as always with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Big, big thank you to our fellow conspiracy realist who reached out all across the internet through so many different platforms with uh, uh, some news of the strange variety that we're excited to explore with you this evening. We're going to learn about alien corpses displayed to (laughs) the lawmakers of Mexico. True story. Uh, We're going to catch you up on uh, upcoming memoir from a former Secret Service agent around during the assassination of JFK. We're going to talk about nasal decongestion, which is promise more interesting than it sounds. But we thought for this evening, we would open up with the JFK story, uh, assassination of JFK uh, and anything related to it remains one of the most prevalent uh, subjects of conspiracy theories in the world today. So it's no surprise that the latest news is of great, great interest. Did y'all read or watch the uh, 112263 by Stephen King? Oh, yes, yeah. both. Both. Okay. I, I did the audiobook of the book and then I, I, I watched the series about um, maybe three weeks ago. I thought the series was fantastic. I know James Franco is kind of like canceled, but I thought he. He's good when he's good, man. When he's cast as sort of like an everyman, he fits the bill. He does a fine job. And I thought the things that I thought were heartwarming from the book, they translated beautifully into the uh, into the series. Um, one thing I love about Stephen King, not to get too sidetracked, is that he just sets rules and doesn't explain himself. He's like, there's a portal in the closet. 
And that's just what that's just what it is. And I'm not going to tell you how it got there or why it's there, but here's how it, in, it interfaces with the story. And I love it. And he, he, he's so entertaining that you never really question that. But I have a hard time remembering dates. So whenever I'm trying to describe this movie or series slash book to somebody, I have to Google it. 11-22-63 is the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated in, uh, in Dallas. Um, and you're right, Ben. It really has been sort of like this high watermark, you know, American conspiracy about the grassy knoll. And I get that a lot. And like the second shooter, the magic bullet theory. That's what we're talking about today. The idea that a single bullet ripped through JFK, exited him, and then I believe entered the governor, like through the wrist, and then somehow ended up, you know, out of, of their bodies and, you know, they, they, they captured it. But today we're talking about an update that's taken place uh, 60 years later uh, from a former Secret Service agent, you're right, Ben, by the name of Paul Landis, um, who I'm just going to go ahead and lead with it somewhat suspiciously has just come out with a book. <laughs> so whenever someone's doing revelations about something that happened a long time ago and they're coming out with a book, I'm always a little bit kind of hesitant to, like, oh, you're doing this out of the kindness of your heart. But this guy, I heard an interview with him, uh, a couple of sources, and he essentially was one of the the main Secret Service agents who was, you know, the ones that are like running alongside, like jogging alongside the presidential motorcade. And he just flew into action when the when the shots were fired. It was a, obviously, if you were in that situation, a very traumatic, very, very aggressively chaotic experience. You're not always going to be on your a game, you know, but these secret service agents this is what they're trained to do. And he basically was one of the ones who shielded, uh, Jackie Onassis Kennedy. Um, and he also realized that she wanted to stay with the president after he'd been shot, but he realized that she had covered him because she didn't want anyone to see that he had been shot in the head. Like she really was clearly very concerned with people seeing this. And he told her, you can go, you can like take care of yourself. I'll do it. And he put his jacket over it. And he talks about all of this um, in these interviews surrounding the book. And he also talks about the fact that he found a bullet after all of the chaos of the event, they get to the emergency room right when they're loading the president and the governor onto gurneys, he finds lodged in the leather of the presidential limousine an unexploded bullet. And I want to ask you guys about this whole, like the, the state of the bullet. He acknowledges that it had rifle striations on it, which is one way they can match a bullet, you know, to a gun because it has these like rifling marks on the side. And he, in his mind at the time, according to him now, 60 years later, um, didn't want it to get lost. Didn't want it to fall out of the car. So he put it in his pocket. And then here's where it gets really interesting he says he was so kind of traumatized in the moment. This is a you know highly trained uh, Secret Service agent that he didn't tell anybody about it. He just placed it on the president's gurney and then never told anybody about it. And he said he was he had nightmares about it. He intentionally didn't read anything about the, the theories or about the coverage or whatever. And he did, I believe, work with his partner for about six more months. I don't think he retired, but... I can't really speak to that part of it, but he didn't tell anybody. I think that's so fascinating. And now 60 years later, he's saying he found this bullet. Um, he realized after the fact, not until I think 2014 when he decided I'm going to, someone gave him, I think a book about 
all of the theories. And he read it and he was like, oh no, they got it totally wrong. This magic bullet theory, there was another bullet. And it was found on the governor of um, Texas's gurney. And he feels like it rolled off of um, JFK's gurney onto the governor's gurney. And he feels like it was this whole kind of linchpin in these incorrect theories. And I just think that's so... so Yeah, please. Okay, so the I just want to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. The magic bullet, right, is the concept that we've discussed for a long time on this show that a single bullet. bullet, one magic bullet is the one that represents the first time the president in the Zapruder film kind of uh, leans down. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right, Matt. Okay. And then there's a second bullet that killed John F. Kennedy when it hit him in the head. I mean, you know, a headshot's got to be a direct shot. You're not going to get a headshot from a bounce. You know, you might get Mm -hmm. injured or get some shrapnel or like a flesh wound, but a a headshot, which is clearly what killed the president, has to be a very direct shot. And, And for a long time, you know, the Warren Commission, which was the official party line on what happened, has been questioned. Because of what you're talking about, Matt, this magic bullet theory that it doesn't make sense. And there have been you know, many folks uh, who have conjectured that there had to have been a second shooter for these trajectories to make sense, like ballistically, I guess, speaking. And now all of a sudden there's this other bullet, which, again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not an expert in ballistics. I don't quite understand what it means, but I think what people are implying that it means or well, at least the New York Times and Vanity Fair and this memoir are implying is that it, it sort of explains the magic bullet theory that there was this other bullet that did a lot of those things or did it in combination with a first shot. So this guy, um, Landis who, who wrote the memoir, um, and is now making the interview rounds. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound skeptical. He's an older, he's an older man. He must be in his eighties now. He's in, he's the, 88. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's in the twilight of his life. He's decided he wants to tell his story. It just so happens that his story involves one of the most, you know, insane conspiratorial events in American history. Um, But understandably, what a lot of people who are interviewing him are asking is, why didn't you say anything at the time? This second bullet or this other bullet that he found lodged in the, the seat. He said it was, again, unexploded. What does that mean, by the way? I mean, I, I sort of teased that. So like, you have a shell casing, right? And then you have the bullet. But to find a completely intact bullet, isn't that sort of unusual? Well, it means the Im- whatever it impacted, right? After it's fired, it flies through the air. Whatever it impacts... Uh, Didn't it, shatter it. Yeah. W- you think about when, let's say, law enforcement uses the ballistic gel, right? To test out the rifling or something like that on a bullet. Often that bullet isn't exploded like... It isn't turned into shrapnel metal. It mm. is still intact somewhat. It, Bones is that what we're say, saying? though, would explode a bullet, right, Ben? If, if it, a direct hit with, like, bone. So for this kind of the one that Landis found or says he found 60 years ago, it's uh, it's like a – it's got a copper jacket. I, I also don't um, – I'm not tuned in enough to the ballistics to know what exactly they mean by uh, an exploded bullet, because a lot of small arms ammunition doesn't really contain an explosive that would, to the point where it'd be unexploded ordnance, mm. like you would say, see in a military grade stuff. But, um, but I think you, you guys have a good lay of the land with the mystery. And I think there's also, you know, to add on just in full disclosure, I, 
pre-ordered this memoir a while back. It comes out in October. Uh, so we'll hopefully we'll get a deep dive into it. But in addition to the idea, you're right to be skeptical about the concept of a we always have to ask the question, is this person just trying to sell a book? Um, in this case, I don't think so. Just the sense I get from, you know, some of the articles you talked about, some of the interviews that I've heard, uh, shout out to Peter Baker at NYT. Uh, the, what, what gets me is the problem of eyewitness recollection, even just two weeks after something happens versus, you know, many decades, because there's a moment where he talks about moving the bullet that he finds lodged in the backseat of the limo, correct? In the backseat of that Lincoln Continental. And then he puts it on, let me get this right, puts it on Kennedy's stretcher and believes it got shaken around and moved to uh, the governor's stretcher. Um, It's, it's a pickle, but it's worth, it's worth learning. Now, I don't know this, Noel, could you tell me, do they have the bullet? You know, I haven't actually heard anybody unequivocally say that they would have to have his whole point was he slipped it in his pocket he said he want he knew it was evidence and he didn't want it to like you know in all of the hubbub fall out of the limo and like end up you know but, the, but again it's we- weird hearing him say that because protocol would be they would have searched high and low for anything in that area he also says he did this for reasons that are fuzzy even to himself well, at this he, point. And he gave it an inaccurate account at the time that he has since recanted and, and said he heard three shots. Um, in, in his original report, he, he said he never went into the not operating room or whatever, the area where he could have put it on Kennedy's gurney. He says he never did that. But he now, 60 years later, says he was under duress. He was, again, traumatized. He. I heard him interviewed um, on NBC or something, and he said, I thought it was very interesting. He said, I knew that if I looked at Kennedy's head wound that I would pass out. And I just thought that was a very interesting thing to say for someone who's so highly trained like that. You know, not that they're showing you all kinds of horrific, you know, faces of death kind of thing to make sure you're not going to pass out. But you are trained to kind of be you know, made or made of sterner stuff. So for him to say that so many years later, I thought was interesting. He was, he wouldn't look at the the body and he was looking, he was thinking mainly of, of Mrs. Kennedy. And, um, he even talked about how he found a, a lighter, a Zippo lighter that mm-hmm. had, that was covered in blood and that had the presidential seal on it. And he thought, okay, this probably belonged to Jackie Kennedy. And he said, I don't think she would have wanted to see that. Like her, personal Zippo lighter covered in the blood of her husband. So he sure. slipped that in his pocket too. But in everything I've read, and again, you know, t- to your point, Ben, the memoir is not out yet, but in everything I've read and in the interview that I heard, he doesn't talk about who he gave that to. Maybe, maybe he did say he, I just think it's weird that he put it on the gurney and didn't keep it in his pocket and then give it to investigators directly. I, or, I find that really weird unusual. that he moved it. It's that's super you know, weird. No, he shouldn't have moved it. Exactly. To my point, they would have found it on the concrete. Ben, that is a really good point, and I didn't fully even think about that. He technically tampered with a crime scene. I think that's very yeah. unusual. And to exercise, you know, just some empathy from his perspective, we haven't spoken um, to Mr. Landis ourselves uh, at this point. You know, imagine you're the Secret Service. Your entire job is to preserve the presidency. So there's not really a way to articulate how crazy that must feel when things go so tragically wrong. Uh, Noel, one thing that stood out to me reading about this 
is that some historians and uh, assassination, I don't want to say enthusiasts, experts, I was gonna say, people who've enthusiast. read widely about it, um, they're, they're saying that if some of these statements are true, it reopens the question of a second shooter. That's right. Um, I'm having a hard time remembering the gentleman's name, but a, a journalist who wrote a piece for Vanity Fair about this topic, he met with Mr. Landis, he said no less than 15 times because he realized that this guy is going to be the subject of intense uh, questioning, you know, at this point. Coming coming out with this information, he's, I need to help him. <laughs> Interesting. This guy, James Robinault, I just looked it up in the article uh, from the New York Times, he I think he reached out to Landis and said, hey, man, you need a little media schooling and I'm going to help you do that. And then he like, I think the memoir was already done. This guy didn't write the memoir. He just like yeah, wrote, wrote a profile of the memoir in Vanity Fair. Yeah. And he's a he's a Robin Alton attorney. He's also written several books, uh, not ne not all necessarily about JFK. But I think the way I hear it most often described is he helped uh, Landis process his memories is That's the right. word there's the phrase you'll see you'll see coming up a lot i i think it's it is fascinating because the majority of the u.s public to this day does not accept the official narrative here and you can check out our earlier episodes to see why it is reasonable to question the you know not just that assassination but the series of assassinations that occurred immediately in the wake of it so i guess my question to you then ben is this revelation, if they did find the bullet, which they should have, but yet they found it on the governor's gurney, how does that change anything? Doesn't that mean there there was a third shot? Because that was one thing that Landis, in his original statement, he said he heard two shots, but then later he was like, in these interviews he's doing now at 88 years old, saying, I heard three shots. And that's a big deal, right? Hearing three shots is like a big change in the narrative, I believe. But the fact that this bullet was in some way, to your question, Ben, do they have the bullet? Or, or maybe, Matt, you asked that. Surely they do if it, if it was found and then that was entered into part of the narrative, right? Like, How does this really change anything? Uh, it would just potentially contradict the Warren Commission. And we're not allowed to contradict the Warren Commission, guys. That's a conspiracy theory. Come on. We, we've learned that over time. Uh, can I read a tiny, tiny paragraph from that Vanity Fair article? Just please. Ooh. It's something I didn't know. Um, and this is when we're talking about how did Landis's recollections of what occurred, how did they get Change. written down, right? Oh, and, that, and why? That's what I'm asking. Exactly. Okay. So how was this entered into evidence, including what happened with the bullet? So this is what James Robinald is saying for Vanity Fair. The sad fact is that Landis, though required to provide his version of events to the Secret Service and in a second report to what would become the Warren Commission, he never sat for an interview before the FBI and he never testified before the commission itself. Right. He left the Secret Service months mm. after the assassination and there before the panel finished its work and issued its report. So he like, that is weird to me that he got out in between, right? 
And the statement that he did give was very procedural and not like a deep dive. It wasn't someone really grilling him. It was just sort of like if you if you're a cop and you shoot somebody, they do a panel to like determine whether it was like a legitimate shooting or not. And again, that even probably involved more grilling than this did. This yeah. seemed to be procedural. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just asked to make his statement so they could place it in the pile of statements about the yeah. event. And to your point, Ben, he was experiencing intense PTSD, at least according to his own account, which you can only imagine would be true. So the the book is called The Final Witness, A Kennedy Secret Service Agent Breaks His Silence After 60 Years. I'll dive in and, you know, off air, give the skinny and the scoop, right? Uh, and we'll see. We'll see. But it's it's an important story, I think. To your point, Noel, um, there's a reason that so many people still have so many questions. And it's not wrong to ask those questions. I would argue that it is the ethically correct thing to do. And I just want to add before we move on that his partner, who I mentioned earlier, Clint Hill, fully rejects his new story, says it doesn't make any sense. Clint Hill was the one who famously was photographed jumping onto the back of the limousine. He's like Mm -hmm. in like these iconic photos of the whole thing. And he now, you know, also up there, in age is saying, nah, none of that makes any sense. So that to me, in addition to the whole thing that he didn't say anything, I don't know what his motivation would be other than to sell books, but I think that's too gauche. That doesn't make sense. Usually these people that we know that are lifelong public servants or people that are, you know, put their life on the line to protect someone in power, you know, in American government, they're not going to just all of a sudden become gold diggers. It doesn't make sense to me. I just don't buy it. So maybe he's experiencing some dementia or something brought on by old age. And maybe there are some publishers that are taking advantage of that. There is part of me that thinks maybe that's true. But the PTSD angle is very interesting. All of this is very interesting. Yeah. We'll have to stay tuned, I guess. This may well, once you've read the book, Ben, and I'm, again, I'm going to order it as well, um, maybe worth a full episode. I, I'm interested to see what <laughs> constitutes an entire book on this topic. But in any case, um, let's uh, take a break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then come back with another piece of strange news. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You've worked hard for what you have your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. In July 1881, a man walked into a train station pulled out a gun and shot the President of the United States. James Garfield's assassination horrified the American people, and they wanted his killer, Charles Guiteau, punished. But Guiteau, many experts believed, was insane. What had seemed like a black-and-white case was now much grayer, 
Could the justice system truly deliver justice in a situation like this? Guiteau's trial was extraordinary, but not unique. Important trials have always raised questions and made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and I'm exploring the stories of these trials in my new podcast, History on Trial. Every episode will cover a different trial from American history and reveal how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back, everyone. It is September, mid of the Septembers, as we record this. Mm-hmm. The month of September. The multiple Septembers. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know if anyone else is experiencing, you know, a little... A little allergies. stuffiness, some allergies. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, my family certainly is. And when my family is experiencing those kinds of things, we reach out, well, to the counter. We mm-hmm. reach out to the counter, whatever pharmacy we find ourselves oh, in. Over the counter? You and might they pass no, no, it no. to you. No. They pass it to you over the counter. No, yeah. no. We reach directly to the counter, and uh-huh. the counter provides. That's what I always say. The counter provides. The <laughs> counter <laughs> gives. You've, you've never said that, Matt. <laughs> Matt says that all the time. I'm yes, Andy. I'm being being really silly. But the the point is, when somebody in my family is feeling a little sick, we go out and we get something you can get over the counter just that's sitting there on the shelf. You pick it up and it says, hey, this helps with uh, making your nose less stuffy and it helps you feel Mm -hmm. less bad when you got a little cold or sure. It has a graphic on the front of it that's got like predator like vision, you know, like the, you know, heat seeking kind of vision where it's like targets your nasal cavities. Like this is what this pill will do for you. This is what this is going to do. You're fine. Look at the picture. Believe us. Yes. And since guys, since I've been an adult, Mm -hmm. I've been using pretty much the same ones. Uh, Pretty much the same ones. I think, yeah, right after college, Right around that time, been using uh, the the things that they'll put PE at the end. If it's like oh, yeah. a Sudafed or just a standard Dayquil, Nyquil. The- what does PE stand for? Uh, uh, well, phenylephrine. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that the meth stuff? No, it is not. But and- isn't some of some of these drugs are now you have to like show your ID to get them because they have some. What do they call it? Uh, pseudo. Pseudoephedrine, I believe. Pseudoephedrine oh. is another one. Yeah. Yes, we are going to get to all that stuff, boys. So let's tell the story. Here it goes. Right now, as we record this, the day before, the FDA has come out and they've made an announcement that their advisors have declared that advisors. The, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. The FDA no, outside it. advisors, the little board they put together when they want to make a big decision, they have decided that the leading active ingredient in leading nasal decongestants that are used by millions of Americans every day are um, basically placebos. Oh, nice. Snake oil, huh? Snake oil. Snake uh, oil is well. pretty powerful, though, y'all. It's pretty powerful. <laughs> or sugar pills. But but the, here's the crazy thing. The the one that you mentioned, Ben, phenylephrine, that Ooh. is the the particular drug, the thing, the chemical that is in question here. And it is something that has been in question since it became an active ingredient in over-the-counter nasal decongestants. Literally the same year 
that it got pushed as a major ingredient, an active ingredient in these things. It was questioned by scientists across the globe. And since that day, in 2006, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the FDA man. has just said, no, this Ugh. is fine. And drug manufacturers, the major ones, all the ones you're thinking about right now in your head when you think of a drug manufacturer, they've been putting out drugs, uh, over-the-counter medicines that use this thing as the primary nasal decongestant ingredient. Um, (laughs) This is one of the craziest things. I'm annoyed. I'm personally annoyed. Well, I think maybe we all are. Um, I I think. Uh, Let me read a bit from this AP article. It's titled, Popular Nasal Decongestant Doesn't Actually Relieve Congestion, FDA Advisors Say. It's written by Matthew Perrone for AP News. And uh, it is saying... Well, let's just read it this way. Advisors of the FDA voted unanimously on Tuesday, that's literally yesterday as we record this, Mm -hmm, against mm -hmm. the effectiveness of the key drug found in popular versions of Sudafed, Dayquil, and other medications stocked on store shelves. And here's a quote. Modern studies, when well conducted, are not (laughs) showing any improvement in congestion with phenylephrine. (laughs) Right. And that's from an allergy specialist from St. Louis University School of Medicine. Um, Guys, Mm -hmm. because of these findings from the FDA, it is highly likely that J&J, Johnson & Johnson, Bayer, and pretty much everybody else uh, who makes drugs are going to have to pull these things that we've all been using for almost two decades off the shelves. <laughs> it was occurring to me that an alternative could be they would just like like what the cigarette companies do. Where it's like this stuff is very bad for you and very addictive. Maybe they would just put this doesn't work very well, like as a big sticker <laughs> on the front yeah. of the <laughs> the main ingredient is officially vibes, it appears. Uh, I mean, you know, what's next? They're going to get into neti pots? Hey, that's the thing, because that's one of the alternatives that's recommended mm-hmm. if you got a stuffy nose, a neti pot. But we also know there's a very low chance that you can get some crazy infections in your nasal cavity if you use <laughs> you one of those. Sure very can. little. It's a tiny little chance, but it's possible. Well, uh, this this might be another story we should cover at some point, but I'm, and I don't mean to be too confessional, but I recently started taking a uh, a new, a relatively new drug called Manjaro that's like for weight loss and my doctor prescribed it to me but my insurance wouldn't cover it and, and if the insurance doesn't cover it it's like $1,300 a month for these injections so I was like F- that so I had a friend that told me well there's there are these like diet dietitians and weight loss clinics that can get it for you at half the half the cost, but it's compounded. And I didn't realize that, that was a different thing. I did notice that the Manjaro you get prescribed comes in a cool, fancy little thing, like a pen, mm-hmm. you know? And the ones that I got came in a <laughs> envelope full of syringes and like a little little bottle. And I I only just recently started Googling it, compounded Manjaro versus, you know, prescription Manjaro. And all this stuff came up saying like, Manjaro is intellectual property that is owned by Novo Nordisk and they have not let that out to like anybody else. So whatever these dietitians are, are saying they have, it's not exactly the same thing, but it probably is close. It's called a tri terzeptide is what it's called. I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail, but really quickly um, I was all of a sudden really freaked out. I was like, you know, it's not, $1,200, but it's not cheap. And I felt like it was really working for me. I was like, my appetite has decreased and I've lost about 13 pounds in the last couple months, but I've also been like exercising and seeing a trainer a bunch. So I was like, am I full of shit? Am I entirely the victim of placebo? That really occurred to me. 
because I'd yeah. read all this stuff about how this drug is like a miracle drug. And I all of a sudden was like, am I just totally experiencing the placebo effect? Oh, man, Noel, that's crazy that you're going through that because it is. I mean, it's shown now that this is what everyone's been doing. Every time you took DayQuil or Ben, NyQuil, even with Honey now, we've read ads <laughs> for that product. Uh, you, we have been giving ourselves that placebo effect, but it's not entirely true because there are other active ingredients in every one of those medicines, right? Mm-hmm. Just not a pro- not another primary nasal decongestant, which is one of the big issues here. Um, that's really, Noel, I can't believe that, uh, I, I haven't been through anything like that, so you're going to well, have to report back well, to us what you find. Really quickly, what I did find was that what a lot of these compounding pharmacies do is it's like B12. It's like a ton of B12 or like something that makes you feel a thing, but isn't the thing. Oh, wow. Well, um, in the case of this medicine, you're not feeling the phenylephrine at all. If the only way to feel the effects of phenylephrine, well, actually there are a couple different ways, but the primary one, if you want to actually use it as a nasal decongestant is to snort it, to shoot it into your nose Insulfate, right? Yes, exactly. I think that's right. Then it is highly effective. It's it does exactly what it says on all of those bottles. But there's tons of little snooter, like uh, you know, decongested things, like Vicks little things that you shoot up your nose. Uh Why don't they Why don't they release it in that form to make it more effective? It is. It is released in that form. It's available in that form. It's just. Uh, Americans especially, but many human beings across the world like to take their drugs orally. Mm. It's just an, an easier task. And especially since like little kids often will take a little sippy cup, basically of medicine rather. And they like that better than getting stuff shut up their sure, nose. Sure. Um, that's one of the primary reasons why it became a take your pill medicine rather than shoot it up your nose medicine marketing. Oh yeah. Uh, so the other thing is the reason why this is very similar to your story, Noel, is because phenylephrine as an active ingredient in those uh, take a pill or, or drink it down drugs is because of a law that got passed in 2006 associated with methamphetamine production. Ah, that's right. With the other drug that we mentioned at the top of this, pseudoephedrine. Mm-hmm. Pseudoephedrine was the active ingredient in things like Dayquil and Nyquil and pseudo actually pseudofed was the original. Yeah, it's sort of part of the name. (laughs) Exactly. And those drugs are still available. You just have to go to the pharmacist and ask them for them. Then you have to, in this country at least, and also in the UK, I believe, you have to sign a log book, basically. Show your ID. And And you you can can only only buy a certain amount, right? Exactly. That that came up in the plot of Breaking Bad. They call them Smurfs, people that go and buy the pseudo and like have like a whole team that like divvies it up so they can get enough to make a batch of crystal meth because one person can't get enough in one uh, purchase to do that. So they have to like have these little Smurfs, they call them. Exactly. And I would highly recommend everyone read the New Scientist article from May 2016, Breaking Bad Sniffles, colon, Crystal Meth Made Cold Medicine Rubbish. That is a 2016 article Mm -hmm. talking about how the active ingredient in most nasal decongestants doesn't work. It's bullshit. Yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. I remember, I, I, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a square in, in that sphere of vice. I remember I had to... I picked up nodos or something like that, which is basically mainly caffeine, mm-hmm. right? But then there was some other thing. Um, 
when I was on the road a, a lot more often domestically, uh, there would be those that little aisle or that little display by the cashier stand of all the pressed pills that yeah. were like trucker crack and then um, <laughs> white crosses. They Yellow had all these jackets, weird street you know, names. Like yeah. Like that. yeah. Yeah. And so I remember one time I thought the coffee's just not cutting it. You know, I have to be in a different part of the continent in a few hours. I can't sleep. And so for the first time ever, I was going to buy some of this and the cashier at the time, I think it was like a flying J or a pilot or a quick trip or something. Um, the cashier said, yeah, buddy, hurry up. Cause, uh, it can be a lot harder to find in a while. And then he asked me if I was sure I didn't want to buy more while I could. And so I just got one pack. I decided not to try them. I sat in my car and did like uh, who am I inventory? I was like, do I look, do I look like I do no, methamphetamine? He was, just, he was trying you know? to give you some good intel, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not the first time he had that conversation. No, no, he, he was did. trying to move their, their units. You know, I, I was in a, a, a punk band when I was younger and they, we had a song called mini thins and mini thins w were a street name for these kind of trucker pills. And the, the lyric was ephedrine, ephedrine shrinks your penis, makes it hard to pee because apparently ephedrine does like cause like shrinkage or whatever. But mm. that was the first time I heard of ephedrine. And what we're talking about now, Matt, is pseudo ephedrine. So does that mean it's like a like a different formulation of ephedrine? Like what is pseudo ephedrine? Oh God, pseudo ephedrine. Uh we can get into that. I would recommend the article from Science titled The Uselessness of Phenylephrine. That's from May 30th, 2022. In that article, you can learn all about how these drugs actually interact with the body with some things that I can't really understand. I'll, I'll read this little excerpt. Why is oral phenylephrine so useless? It is extensively metabolized starting in the gut wall. You can find a bioavailability figure of 38% in the literature, but that appears to be the most optimistic number possible. And it, go, it I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of tough to get through in that well, way, but it does go into the one you're talking about, Noel, and like why how that drug actually breaks down breaks through that wall, right? Mm -hmm. It is metabolized correctly. Like certain drugs to your point, they break down beyond the point of efficacy by the time they actually reach the part of your body that needs to be tweaked <laughs> or whatever, you know? Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, guys, I, we we're going to end this in just one moment here. I have to do have to say one last thing. There is another article. Everybody needs to read right now. It is from, the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. It's titled Oral Phenylephrine, an Ineffective Replacement for Pseudoephedrine. And that is from May 1st, 2006. And it goes... Oh, wow. Exactly. That's a long... Jesus Christ. Well, it goes into the 1976 FDA review panel mm -hmm. that concluded oral... Uh, I'm going to read these out. This is going to be tough, but here it goes. Oral... Phenylpropanolamine. <laughs> Oral. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> phenylpropanolamine. I, I, that's what it is. Uh, pseudonephrine it and phenylephrine are safe and effective for non prescription relief of nasal congestion caused by the common cold. Okay, that happened in 1976. Then in 2000, that crazy one that, that I read, uh, phenylpropylenamine, uh, it Better was every time, man. Better <gasps> every time. <laughs> like was, a fine wine. Like a fine wine. It was voluntarily removed from all products because of hemorrhagic strokes. 
they oh, were associated wait, with wait, use of that drug. Uh, I'm sorry, you buried the lead there. You're saying the the active ingredient they are now touting and pushing is the thing that gives you hemorrhagic strokes. No, no. that that oh, is one okay, of I the misunderstood. three. That's one of the three that was approved back in 1976. Then pseudoephedrine, the one that's used to cook meth, uh, went out of style in 2006 because of an amendment to the Patriot Act, by the way. That's that's why it came out. Um, mm-hmm. That's when it got put behind the counter. And it is still purchased by a lot of uh, U.S. adults, but not as many. In proportion now, the phenylephrine products are purchased way, way, way more. But doesn't it just go to show that, like, despite FDA approvals, quote unquote, medicine is bullshit? Like, doesn't it kind of like just in general point to that? Like we were talking uh, recently on an episode about the whole um, thing with artificial sweeteners, how it took the FDA. They already knew when the thing came out that it wasn't good for you. But now, however many 50 years later, they're like, actually, we finally got done with our book report. And and we think it's actually we're going to come out and say it's not great. Yeah. FDA is garbage, man. Well, well, but but check this out. It's not just the FDA because there are powerful forces at play because of that change in the Patriot Act in 2006. Phenylephrine came out and it was Pfizer that introduced Sudafed PE, which was the original one because Mm -hmm. you can't use that active ingredient to make meth. Right. And it was only a marketing. It was only a 10 milligram dose. It was marketing. You're right. But it was known at the time. It was known then that it had poor bioavailability when you 100%. take that thing. Also, we got to point out, Matt, I, I, I don't want to take up too much time. We got to point out, though, that this is another example of legislation lagging behind yes. uh, technology because, <laughs> because the problem is if you are a legislator, you are playing a very rigged game of whack-a-mole. It is, mu- it is super easy to make um, a, a drug that is, well, what's the word? Uh, oh, oh uh, not parasympathetic, uh, sympathomimetic. An- yes, yes, yeah, yes. Like yes. a cousin of it that is Wait, chemically- say it one more time. It changes one little factor, one little molecule. Sympathomimetic. Okay. So it, it has the same effect, but it is just a kissing cousin of the thing. And so now you can say this is not technically the thing. That's and and you know what? Pfizer does it as well as your local mad chemist from out of the nineteen sixties. Well, it's the same with all of those like quote unquote lab chemicals like bath salts and like, you know, a, a THC that isn't technically the molecule that is scheduled by the government. Like THC is one particular molecule. Then there's something called like Delta eight. That's like one molecule different, but that means they can sell it at the gas station. That means they can sell it at the head shop, quote unquote. And it, uh... it takes the, they, they get, it gets targeted, but that requires debates in the halls of government, you know, somebody has to like die and someone has to get mad and like write a letter to their congressman or like freedom, all this stuff. Like what you're saying, Ben is actually absolutely right. We're talking about sales. I just have to give two figures and, Mm -hmm. and this is it. When we're talking about taking these drugs off the shelves and not selling them anymore, we're talking about a major hit to major drug manufacturers. Billion. Billion. Because in 2022, according to CBS News and the FDA report itself, there were 242 million bottles, packages, units, or whatever of this cold and allergy medication sold. And that stuff's like 35 bucks a pop, like each one of those. Like they're very pricey, you know, that, that type of medication over the counter. Yeah, and it depending, I don't have, I don't know if that's just in the U.S. or or internationally, guys, but 
That mm-hmm. seems like a large number. Uh, the money number associated with that is roughly phenylephrine products make up an annual sales amount of $1.8 billion. So that's a huge hit to the bottom line if you take yeah. those off. Yeah. And also quick correction, uh, sympathomimetic is, uh, th- those are, those are drugs like PE that, that mimic, uh, certain effects on the sympathetic nervous system. The better general term is just analog drug, but the, what we're saying is still accurate. And it's whenever there's a billions of dollars on the line, things get ugly so quick because the pharmaceutical lobbies are best in class to be quite honest. Oh yeah. Well, and just to put a cap on it for my end, the thing that I was talking about earlier with the Manjaro is what I did look up is there's probably some of that in there, but it's not FDA tested or approved and uh, proceed at your own risk. The reason I even found this out was I had a physical and I told my doctor who prescribed me the Manjaro, but it was like $1,300. And then I found this dietitian. I told him, oh, I've been taking this Manjaro. It's great. He's like, wait, you got it from us? I'm like, nope, I got it from this dietitian. He's like, ooh, Mm, not sure about that. Uh, these compounding pharmacies, you really, never really know what you're going to get. I thought that was very, because again, I looked it up FDA, but to my previous statement and then I'm done, FDA approval is bullshit. Who cares? Well, I mean, to some extent, that's what we've been finding out, right? Uh, no to everyone listening. You are not going to get sick. You're not going to get your kids sick from using these drugs. It is, they are just not going to be effective at doing the thing they say they do on the box. That's it. We'll be back with more strange news. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In July 1881, a man walked into a train station, pulled out a gun, and shot the President of the United States. James Garfield's assassination horrified the American people, and they wanted his killer, Charles Guiteau, punished. But Guiteau, many experts believed, was insane. What had seemed like a black and white case was now much grayer. Could the justice system truly deliver justice in a situation like this? Guiteau's trial was extraordinary, but not unique. Important trials have always raised questions and made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and I'm exploring the stories of these trials in my new podcast, History on Trial. Every episode will cover a different trial from American history, and reveal how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Buble's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. 
everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned, folks, if you are a longtime conspiracy realist, uh, there is little doubt that you have heard a bit about UAPs, UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials, non-human intelligence, especially uh, in the past few months or the past few years. Our last story today, bit of a combo meal. We've got a palate cleanser for you at the end. I hope it's a palate cleanser, uh, comes to us from North America, which is absolutely blowing up with alleged UAP news. Quite recently, the Congress of Mexico had an amazing experience. I think it's an amazing experience. We'll see. I wasn't there in person. The lawmakers of Mexico got together and convened a session wherein they were shown allegedly alien corpses retrieved from peru that's our first clue huh. uh <laughs> yeah that's it's our first clue uh the guys running the running point on this is a journalist and ufologist named jamie mawson m-a-u-s-s-a-n uh and took an oath and said you know these mummified specimens are not part of quote our terrestrial evolution huh. and that a third of their dna is unknown doesn't it feel like these kinds of stories are starting to get printed in more and more uh, prestigious publications? Like, sure. It, it used to be that this kind of story would be in, like, the Daily Mail or, like, the Sun or whatever, the National Enquirer. But now we've got, like, experts saying, yep, there was definitely a mummified corpse, an alien autopsy situation that I've never seen before. That's Wild. It's interesting because Peru does subconsciously make most people think of mummies when you say there's an ancient corpse found there. <laughs> that's part of the that's part of the debate. That's a good point too, because one of the biggest Western sources reporting this is the Independent. So shout out to Tara Cobham, uh, who who wrote a great story here. Uh that you can read now, alien corpses shown to Congress as UFO expert is forced to testify under oath. I think it's a little bit of editorialization to say forced to testify because the guy totally volunteered. But you can look at pictures of these things uh, on the independent there. I want to shout out everybody reached out on Instagram and various social meds uh, to point this story out. Uh, the pictures themselves, I'm be honest with you. Not super duper impressive. The skeptics are already having a field day, as are, of course, the true believers. But what what did they talk about? So it's you can watch the entirety of the hearing. Uh, it is in Spanish, but you can also find some pretty good English transcriptions if you're not if you're not feeling super duper confident in your Spanish. And we know that they did radiocarbon dating per what they say. We know that they did DNA testing. Uh, we know that they took x-rays and the x-rays are mm. interesting because uh, it appears that one of these two corpses has what are being described as eggs levels inside. Really? Uh, like, inside yeah, where? Metal, metal eggs in their bodies uh, made of stuff like osmium. Dude, 
What? Oh my God. Uh, okay. I we mean, got, the, uh, the first image in the independent piece looks like Yoda. I just want to say that right now. It like fully looks like Yoda. He's got like a long, or ET. He's got like an elongated head that is like a hammer. It's interesting. It immediately, if this is real, looks unlike any mummy I've ever seen. It's not shrunken in the same way that a human specimen would be shrunken in the way mummification occurs. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm flabbergasted here. Okay, so I'm looking at the images, Ben, from the Independent mm. that we're talking about. Mm. I'm looking at a thing, specifically, gosh, it's, the, it's everything. It's what you're talking about, Noel. It's the shoulders for me. I, right. I, I don't understand where there the could clavicle. possibly be <laughs> articulation. Yeah, yeah. I don't, it looks like your kid made one. I was about to say, it looks like a mud sculpture, like a, like a mm. paper mache like dummy. It's weird. But but again, like I don't want to completely discount it because there it's striking. It's just oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, he uh, this guy claims Jamie claims they were these two corpses were found in Peru in 2017, uh, and he also there's something interesting in some of these statements. Uh, the folks who are saying that this is unusual and not just a typical. Peruvian mummified human corpse. They're saying, look, we want to publish the science. We want to get this out. Come disprove us. Look, this is how science works. Look into what we're doing. Right now, we think these are anywhere between 700 to 1800 years old, and they have weirdly elongated heads. They only got three fingers on each hand. That's what they're trying to demonstrate and it does come up on the hills of the uh uap statement to u.s congress uh with you know of course grush uh fravor uh ryan graves and so on and it's nuts to see how this (laughs) so i started digging into the story a little and the first thing you want to do on these things you want to read the official statements and then you want to learn about the source of the statement right who is saying this and do they have any sort of motivation? Do they have a book coming out? You know what I mean? Do they own a uh, for-profit entity that publicizes putting osmium eggs in your body or something like that? Uh, in And again, I don't want to cast dispersion here, but it is proven that this is not our guy's first rodeo. Uh, he has previously been associated with claims of extraterrestrial or non-human intelligence discoveries that had later been debunked, including five mummies also found in Peru in 2017 that Wait. were later shown to be human Whoa. children. Oh, oh, see, there we go. And I did just look up the independent um, on a, a, a site that scores reliability. And uh, the independent gets 40.32 on the reliability scale, negative 7.54 bias, um, which I don't quite understand the scale of this. But I do think the independent is sort of a, a old school British sort of tabloid kind of thing to a degree. I don't know if I call it a tabloid. No, I've always found their quality to be better. No, exactly. But even the Mirror of the Sun by some journalist type folks are considered to be not as, you know, reputable. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah, those are are trash. The Independent's more like the Telegraph. There you go. So my, my point is, like, this is the kind of story that you used to see on papers in the grocery store, Bat Boy, things like that. Now we have too much information. We can't be fooled by that stuff anymore. We have to be fed more data to be like, maybe, 
maybe this is an alien mummy, but this is the type of paper that would print a, a bogus story. That's all I'm saying. I see what you're saying. Uh, there, and of course, uh, this one journalist who has been associated with previously debunked claims, he's not the only person who spoke with Congress there in Mexico. I want to shout out Jose de Jesus Zolce uh, Benitez, who is a forensic sciences specialist, and he's got his bona fides. Uh, you can read his full statement uh, in, in Spanish, in English, and he talks in detail kind of similar to some previous reports we saw to U.S. Congress. He talks in detail about different things. One thing uh, to your earlier question, Matt, one thing he spends some time on is articulation points. You know, you look at it and you're like, wow, this is a crappy G.I. Joe. Its elbows don't bend. Uh, <laughs> yes, so, it's just clay. Sorry. doesn't have a kung fu grip, you know? Yeah. And so he talks through, um, he talks through the anatomy of uh, these corpses. Uh, he talks through unusual developments, like how it has uh, in the thorax, there's a structure similar to that of birds. Uh, and he, he says the thorax structure that is kind of uh, like a bird, it kind of avian, allows those shoulder joints to continue and move very well. So I, I, at the very least, if it's a con, he he was up at night saying, I know that Matt Frederick's going to ask about the shoulders, so let me get my work Whoa. in now. Got to stick and move on this guy. Can uh, we talk about the <laughs> hips, though? The hips are aggressive. Those well, are, they don't lie. <laughs> I mean, they are jutting. They are, they're like a shelf. The, and then the, and the butt is, is clearly laying flat on a flat surface. So there's no nothing poking out the back, but the hips are protruding well, like three, four inches. It's crazy. Because the hips look like bones to me, right? The, the way 100%. those are. But then the arms, I think that's what's making maybe tripping up my mind. It looks phony, man. Be it looks phony. Well, uh, because the shoulders don't look bony to me. It looks like uh, musculature or something sure. that would make it look more smooth. Mm -hmm. Um Sorry, it's just weird. It it is a very strange thing too. And you know, I would say in all fairness, if you have looked at mummified remains in the past for animals as well as humans, they can look a hokey a little bit hokey as well, you Agreed. know. Agreed. Uh, I I hate to look at these remnants of ancient amazing civilizations and think their production value wasn't where I wanted it <laughs> yeah. to be. Is this a fossil that we're looking at? Like, or it, like, what, what are we, is this like a fossilized skeleton that is, you know, we're looking at the shape that was made by rock intrusions into where it left the hole in the yeah, fossil this is record? A That's a skeleton. Corpse, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure. Yeah. This is a, um, so it, whatever it is, it definitely at least appears to hold up the scans. The big uh, extraordinary claim is that it's not human. And that needs to be verified by multiple people, but also you have part of that verification is looking at the track record of the person uh, who is making these claims. And this person apparently has attempted to or has made similar claims in the past. That doesn't mean what they're saying now is not true. That just means we've got to think about it. We've got to think through uh, what their motivations could be. And you can, of course, you can find, again, the transcripts here. Um, which seem to be made in good faith. You can watch the entire hearing in Espanol uh, on any number of video platforms. Of course, Twitter uh, loves this, or X loves this. Uh, and 
I got to say, it's been really interesting to get into the weeds and read um, read the back and forth of what what they're saying. Because if you listen to the folks who are saying this is extraordinary, they've got a specialist in metallurgy, radiologist, geneticist. The interior eggs. That's Mm -hmm. fascinating. That's a real eyebrow raiser for me. The idea of metal eggs is interesting. did, did Ben, did you give a length or like a height or just a size? Scale. Yeah. No, not yet. Not yet. That's good. Uh, let's. It's in a drawer. It looks like in the image, it's like in a drawer. It's like a velvety kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sunken thing. Like you would present a king's crown. You know, it's very unusual. There are little Oshkosh Bagosh caskets, basically. Because <laughs> exactly. it is tiny. It is. Yeah. They're not going to be... Um, they're not going to be point guards in the NBA. You know what I mean? That that part is true. Uh, they are the thing that's strange is they fit a lot of the popular uh, description of yes. little green men. You know, Grays. big heads, yeah. somewhat vestigial noses, uh, a lower number of flanges or whatever, and uh, much smaller height fingers <laughs> um, or toes as well. I guess. And I guess. this is yeah. This like um, we. <sighs> I was talking with some uh, Mexican contacts who are also UFO fans about this. And even the guys that I thought would be super on board, like super, yes, tell us more. Even they were saying, yeah, even they were saying, I don't know if this is because they all knew about this guy previously. I did not. I didn't either. But isn't it funny that like the mainstream relatively, quote unquote, mainstream press is picking up this story that was, you know, like, how, how did this come up again? It was presented before Mexican lawmakers, kind of like how was there an official panel about this? Like it was kind of official. That's why they picked it up over here, I think. Right. It was a congressional hearing. To exactly. my understanding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's enough to make a quote unquote reputable American journalist agency be like, we're going to report on this. We also know it's going to get us clicks because, you know, disclosure, it's happening. <laughs> like, like, come on, we're going to get clicks. Ben, who else was at that hearing? Hey, oh, Lindsay. yeah, yeah. There were uh, there were some uh, greatest hits. I think uh, Graves was there. Right. Uh, and a were- look how we mentioned recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do, do the big reveal, Matt? Mr. Please. Avi Loeb that we yes. just talked about. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know who that is. I don't know who that is. Uh, Avi Loeb is a storied Harvard astrophysicist that I had, I had mentioned in uh, previous Strange News last week who uh, discovered some fascinating spherules, we're calling them, off the coast of Papua New Guinea. That's and if right. you would. If you had asked me, if you had been like, hey, Ben, I'm the editor of The Independent. I need to do a show to get, I need to do an article to get some clicks. And if you asked me off record, I would say UFOs. This do is it hot right all now. day long. You do know, it, that's, baby. That's do the it. point I'm yeah. making yeah. to the, you know, to the question you asked. There has to be some skepticism there. Uh, and that, that means that once again, I don't know about you guys, I'm putting on my Fox Mulder hat. I want to believe so bad. You never bad. really wore a hat, though, you know? <laughs> no, no but indeed. Uh, so they uh, do no have, but, like, yes and. Oh. But they do have um, appeal to us, I think. In modern folklore, there's this, this concept that there are inexplicable things about the world, or there is some mystery to decode. And the question always becomes one of good versus bad faith actors 
Do these folks really believe what they're saying? Or is it a cynical grift in order to uh, make some sort of profit? And that can be a difficult question to answer when you are living in history as it's being written. Before we move on, to be absolutely clear, I am personally 99.999% sure these purported alien bodies are absolutely a hoax. In fact, I would advance to you the idea that they are a modern version of P.T. Barnum's famous Fiji mermaid. These are absolutely debunked, in my opinion. Uh, They are part of a scam. As a matter of fact, if you look at several articles around this, including the Vox article by Aja Romano, uh, you will find that there is, in fact, a crowdfunding project over on Ulule.com, which uh, is entirely about constructing these things. So our big question, our big conspiracy now is why did the Mexican Congress agree to play these reindeer games in the first place? Curiouser and curiouser. So would love to hear your thoughts on that, folks. Tell you how to get in touch with us at the end uh, as a palate cleanser here <laughs> or a very worrying thing. Your mileage may vary. I want to give a special shout out to Joseph S. on Instagram. Hipped us to this story. Speaking of tabloids, this is from The Mirror in the UK. The first red heifer in 2000 years fulfills the biblical prophecies and signals the, quote, end of days. Okay. What? Tell me more. Not with a bang, but with some cattle. Uh, Apparently, (laughs) in Christianity and Judaism, red heifers are show up in stories about the end times, and the (sighs) birth and sacrifice of a red cow is said to precede the construction of the third temple in Jerusalem, and then in Orthodox Judaism. Uh, rebuilding that temple happens before the Jewish Messiah arrives. Isn't that fascinating that the cow is a big deal in Hinduism, the sacred cow? It's a big deal in the golden calf, the idol that you worship and all of that stuff. It's a very, like, it comes up a lot in all of these various uh, religious iconographies. Hmm. I, okay, now this is a weird one for me. This is a really weird one for me, and I, I, I was a Bible boy for a long time. But this, it, I, don't, I didn't know a lot about this. Um, the red heifer, that concept looks to me, and I may be completely wrong to be associated with, um, almost a virginal, um, human. It's, it says a bovine, a female bovine, which has never been pregnant or milked or yoked. Mm -hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. yes. say it like that. Right? Yeah, I, I think the, the specific line is something like, to your point, Matt, speak unto the children of Israel, the Lord commanded that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. Isn't that asking for a sacrifice, though, sort of? It is. It was for sacrificial purposes. That's yeah, what the red heifer virginal was used for. sacrifices are like a thing, you know, it's a very interesting. Maybe I just don't understand the, like, significance of this one perfectly mm. spotless, whatever, whatever the criteria well, is. I mean, there's so many little mentions and I think it's actually sort of been debunked that like six, six, six is mentioned in revelations. I think that's not true. Right. And like, the, correct. Right. The, the number of the beast, but there are things in the Bible that portent an end of times thing. And anybody that wants to interpret it and spit it out to their followers can flip it and do whatever they want with it. 
and the director of the Temple Institute, Rabbi Chine Richman, uh, spoke about this and said, we have, we and several other rabbinical experts have examined this cow, and it is indeed a viable candidate for the biblical red heifer. I had no idea that they were so exceedingly rare. And as someone, uh, you know, who has uh, color blindness or color deficiency, (laughs) if there were people like me on the farm, we would have never known and the world would just have ended. But they have criteria ready, like, for the thing. Like, oh, here it is. Let's check the boxes. You know, that's wild to me. Red is also a translated color. Remember, this is Mm. and red doesn't mean red necessarily. It could mean yellow or it could be yellowish. Like, check it out. There's there are translation differences that have been associated with this thing of what it actually means or would look like. Well, to Mm -hmm. the point, Ben, of someone with colorblindness, color is all relative. It's all about like what you ascribe that color to be. And then, you know, the, the word you choose to use to like describe it to other people that is usually pretty irrelevant. Mm. Well, it seems, of course, in this case, uh, to both your points, this seems extremely relevant to some people. Again, not not everyone of these faiths is agreeing with this. Uh, to me, I think one of the big takeaways here is that apparently that's a very rare type of cow. Uh, and will it lead to huge revelations <laughs> to apocalyptic times? Well, you can make the argument uh, that we live in those and already have. So we would love to hear your uh, your take on this, folks. Biblical prophecy is just <gasps> so unendingly fascinating. Give it to us, Matt. We've got to talk about one. Uh, this, this episode is coming out on September 18th, 2023. Okay? In in 2017, you guys, we made an episode titled Will the or Will the World End Tomorrow or Today or something like that. Do you remember this? Yes. It was September 23rd, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a ton of rumors circulating right now that the world is going to end this year, uh, I guess on Saturday as you're hearing this episode mm-hmm. on September 23rd, 2023. So everybody get ready. I guess, for either nothing or the end of the world, I guess. And uh, we'll be here until the lights go out. Your mileage may vary. The world is ending for someone somewhere every day. Hopefully not you. Uh, We can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. Let us know what you think. We try to be easy to find online. Oh, Conspiracy Stuff is where you can find us on uh, Twitter, nay, X, X, nay, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Facebook, where we have our group, uh, Here's Where It Gets Crazy, and YouTube, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. We have a voicemail system. It's simple to use. You dial 1-833-STDWYTK. You've got three minutes. Give us a cool nickname. Say whatever you'd like. Just do let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. It's that simple. If you want to send us more information, stuff like links and pictures, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the Scopes Monkey Trial to O.J. Simpson, trials have always made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and my podcast, History on Trial, will explore fascinating trials from American history. Join me in revealing the true story behind the headlines and discover how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. After Lives is a new podcast about the life and legacy of Laylene Polanco, a transgender Afro-Latina who died tragically on Rikers Island Jail Complex. Justice for Laylene! loved to dance, she loved to sing. She was just happy to be alive. Stepping foot on Rikers Island has been widely acknowledged a potential death sentence. Listen to Afterlives, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.